Naaman was the captain of the Syrian army. He was a high-ranking official in the army of Syria, maybe the highest of all. Uh, he was a man highly regarded by the king. He probably, by most estimations, would have been judged a, a war hero. But what we remember about him is that he was a leper. Naaman's story is told in 2 Kings chapter 5. And that's going to be the basis for some considerations in our lesson tonight. You know well the story of Naaman the leper. We want to review that story tonight. And then we want to make some applications, maybe a little bit different in nature, the applications that we want to draw tonight. We stop here just briefly to thank you all for being here on Sunday evening. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for your encouragement. Thanks for your participation in this period of Bible study and worship. We hope that all are edified. We hope most of all that God is glorified. Thank you for being here tonight. A special word of thanks, as has already been said, to those who are visiting with us. What do we know about this story of Naaman? Again, we're not going to read the, the Bible text in 2 Kings 5. We'll just sort of review it or summarize it. Naaman was a leper. leper. Leprosy was among, if not the most, dreaded disease in Bible times. If you read about leprosy and how it develops, apparently it begins as brownish red spots on the skin that then sort of develop into hardened cysts that ultimately rupture into open ulcers. It's a very ugly thing, but then it begins to attack the nerves and the muscles. And as they become more and more involved, there's deformity and even paralysis that results. Leprosy was and is even to this day a horrible disease. There was no cure. Nothing that you could do about leprosy. But if you were a sufferer, if you were a leper, certainly you'd be anxious to take any chance at receiving a cure or a healing. In Naaman's day, and as he was a part of the army, the Syrian army made frequent raids into the border area between them and Israel. And in one of those border raids, a, a young girl was taken captive. She eventually became Naaman's wife's servant. And she told her mistress about the prophet of it, the prophet Elisha in Israel. And she was just absolutely certain that if Naaman would go to Elisha the prophet in Israel, that Elisha could heal Naaman of his leprosy. It's quite imaginable that as soon as Naaman heard of such a potential, even any slight prospect that he could be healed of his leprosy, he started for Israel. With his own king's encouragement and endorsement, he headed for Israel laden with a lot of extravagant gifts that he would gladly give if he could be healed of his leprosy. He came first to the king of Israel, uh, who was rather agitated by the very fact that he came there. But he directed him, the king of Israel directed him to Elisha's house. Naaman apparently imagined that the prophet would come out and, and ceremoniously cleanse him of his leprosy. He expected great things. Elisha didn't come out. Instead, Elisha sent out a messenger 
And the message, as you know it well, was go dip seven times in the Jordan River to be cleansed. Naaman's initial reaction to that instruction was that he was just furious. He was uh, angry and he stormed off. This didn't make any sense to him. You're just going to dip in a river. We got better rivers back home than this muddy Jordan River here in Israel. This doesn't make any sense. And he left in a rage. He would have returned home if his servants had not intervened. And his own servants intervened and wisely counseled their captain that, think about this, if you had been asked to do some great and challenging thing, you would have gladly done so. Why not do this simple thing? Why not go to the Jordan River and dip seven times? Naaman reconsidered, and he went, and he obeyed, and his flesh was made whole, restored to childlike purity. There are a lot of great lessons in the story of Naaman. And I would, I would be afraid to venture a guess at how many sermons have been preached on the text in 2 Kings 5 on Naaman the leper, it'd be hard to imagine through the centuries how many different sermons have been preached on that text. Tonight we'll add one more, but tonight we have just one simple point. There's a lot of points to be made about Naaman the leper, but tonight our intention is to make one simple point. Our point is that Naaman's cleansing resulted from the combined efforts of several different people. Now, if you remember the story that we just told, I think you'll recognize that a lot of people got involved and it was the, the end result of a lot of people's work that got Naaman to do what he needed to do, but he cleansed of his leprosy. And so we want to talk about joint efforts to accomplish good things. In the case of Naaman, consider the servant girl. She's an interesting one. She initiated the process, of course, of Naaman being healed. She initiated by simply telling that a healing was possible. She was sure that a healing could happen. Her faith is really impressive. How in the world, though, did this young girl know that the prophet Elisha in Israel could heal a leper of his disease? Well, someone might imagine, well, the reason she knew is because she'd seen it done a lot of times. Elisha was down there healing lepers right and left, and she was, by her own experience and what she had personally witnessed, she was sure that if this Naaman would go, he could be healed. But the fact of the matter is that is not the case. Jesus referenced this episode in Luke chapter 4, verse 27 In Luke chapter 4, verse 27, it says, Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliseus, or Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. You get that? There were lots of lepers. There were, this guy was from Syria, but even within Israel, there were a lot of lepers in Israel. None of them was healed, except Naaman the Syrian. Well, you could draw some conclusions from that, but the conclusion we're wanting you to draw from that is she didn't know that Elisha had that power by virtue of what she had seen him do because he had never done that. She just believed that he was a man of God. She had faith that this could happen. 
And so the servant girl is pretty impressive in that story. But she initiated the whole process by just saying, it could happen. You could be cleansed of this disease. Certainly, in this story, Elisha, by way of his servant who went out to meet the captain, uh, Elisha explained what was required of him. Here's what you need to do. Here are the things, the conditions you need to meet. This is what's going to be required if you want to be cleansed of your leprosy. It was a pretty simple plan, right? Just go over yonder to the Jordan River, and when you get there, dip in the river seven times. In fact, that instruction was so simple that Naaman initially took offense at that. It made him mad. He was angry. But Elisha told him the truth, right? He gave him the right information. Elisha, through his messenger, told him accurately what was needed, what he needed to do. So he had a part in it too. The servant girl got it started. Elisha certainly pushed the thing forward by giving him his instruction. But I tell you, somebody else who was really fundamental in this process was Naaman's own servants. They played a really vital role, if you will, in getting Naaman to do what he needed to do. They encouraged him to obey when he was angrily resisting the instruction. You know, their counsel made good sense. If, if Elisha said, uh, you've got to go climb the highest mountain in Israel and stand on your head at the top of it for five hours... If he told you something like that, if he told you some really hard thing to do, you would have gladly done it. But instead of that, he's asking you to do something real easy. If you would have done the harder thing, why won't you do this simple thing? Why won't you just go and do as the prophet said? They, they got through to Naaman and he responded. Now, if you think about those three, I'm sure you would agree with me that each of their contributions was equally essential to Naaman's healing. And without any one of them, leave out any one of them, and Naaman would have gone to his grave a leper. He would not have been healed. All right, you know the story. Let me take just a few minutes then to make a, an application. And I want to make the application to our efforts in evangelism, to our work of spreading the good news about salvation in Jesus Christ. I'd like to suggest to you that there's something that all of us can do in this regard. It may be that you're someone who can simply tell others that salvation is possible. People are lost in sin all around us, and if they're going to be saved from their sin, they have to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Uh, every and any effort to reach those who are lost in sin is a valuable contribution to the outcome we desire. And, and anything that any of us can do, any one of you can do, any one of us can do, anything that's pos- that we are able to possibly contribute to the cause is important and should not be diminished. There's something you can do. For instance, you might be this person who can simply tell others, That salvation is possible. This would make you sort of like the servant girl in Naaman's case. Maybe you're the one to initially reach out and and tell a lost soul that salvation is possible. She, She expressed her faith when she said, I'm sure Elisha could heal you. She was speaking out of faith. 
And we can do that too. We can share our faith in Jesus, that He has the power to heal us of our terrible disease of sin. We don't have the disease of, physical disease of leprosy, but we've got the horrible problem spiritually of sin in our lives. And Jesus has the power to heal us from sin. Who would you tell? Maybe you're just the one who's going to initiate the process. You're going to tell others that there's a, there's salvation available. Who are you going to tell? Well, there's a, there's quite a sphere of influence that each one of us possesses. It would be interesting. I've never done it. I don't imagine you've ever done it either. If you sat down with a piece of paper and a pencil and started writing down the names of everybody you know, I'm not even sure that you could possibly do that. I think that'd be be such a hard task to name everybody that you know, that you even know fairly well. All of us have friends. We have family. We have neighbors. We have co-workers. We're surrounded by people who need to learn about salvation in Christ Jesus. You could contribute by just simply reaching out to them to let them know that salvation is possible. Jesus has died to make it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins and go to heaven when this life is over. In Luke chapter 8, there's the story of Jesus casting out demons from a man uh, and after he had done so, in Luke chapter 8, verse 38, it says, The man out of whom the devils were departed besought Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. You know, think about that. Here's a guy who also received a healing. This, in his case, uh, the, the evil spirits were cast out. A wonderful blessing that he received. He said, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. I want to be right at your right hand. All that Jesus said, no. Here's what I want you to do instead. I want you to go back home. And I want you to, I want you to tell, notice, he says, uh, Go to your own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. Well, you know, I could do that too, couldn't I? Couldn't I tell what great things the Lord has done for me? He has, hasn't He? For us all. The Lord has done great things for us. And what an easy thing for us to simply tell others. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. This guy was excited. He did it. It says that he went and published throughout the whole city. How great things Jesus had done unto him. We can do that. And that would be a valuable contribution. You could initiate the process by simply telling someone that salvation is possible. There are others who can clearly teach God's word. Like Elisha, through his messenger, explained what Naaman needed to do. There are those who can clearly explain what God requires of us today. Can you do that? Someone said, oh man, I'll tell you, I could never stand up before a crowd of people and preach. That whole idea of public speaking just terrifies me. I could never do that. We have referenced those studies in the past, you know, 
and it's, it's, it's repeated over and over. The study, the outcome of the study is always the same. What is the number one fear that people have in life? The number one fear. Now, I'll tell you what number two is. Number two is death. But the number one fear that always comes out in every poll is public speaking. People are terrified of public speaking. And I'm actually quite sympathetic to that because there was a time when I was that way myself. Maybe you say, I I could never do that. I could never stand before a crowd of people and speak and teach and so forth. Well, maybe not. Maybe not in the pulpit. But maybe your place where you could sit down and teach someone what God expects them to do is around a kitchen table or sitting in someone's living room or in your living room and telling them the simple gospel message, the plan of salvation. You know, a lot more of us are capable of doing that than, than we might imagine. And many of you who might, whose first reaction might be, ah, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't teach. You might be surprised at what you'd be able to do if you tried. And actually, we should be working to that end, right? In Hebrews chapter 5, the Hebrew writer actually chided the people that he was writing to when he said, the time is that you ought to be teachers. But you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Notice what he said there in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. He says, the time has come when you ought to be teachers. That, that expresses an expectation. There's, there's an expectation that a Christian at some point ought to be able to teach someone else. And he was rebuking them because they were not able to do so. In our Wednesday night class, we talked last week and a little bit the week before about 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so we all ought to be working to the point where it, and where there's going to be different ability levels. We understand that. But we all ought to be working to the point where we would be able to tell clearly and teach what God's truth is. Can you do that now? Maybe that's your role in converting someone. Someone else makes the initial outreach. You come along and are able to teach clearly what God's truth is. Or you might be like Naaman's servants who encourage others to obey. Remember, in Naaman's case, he was mad and he wasn't, he was resisting. He was not going to do what he was told to do. But his, his own servants came to him and encouraged him. Maybe you can be that encourager. The one who goes to someone. This, and, and, and we're thinking of someone now. They know what they ought to do. They've been taught. And they're resisting doing what they know they ought to do. Does that ever happen? You know that happens a lot, doesn't it? Here's a person who has become informed about what God's will is, but they're fighting against it. They're resisting to do it. And maybe you're the one who can go to them and encourage them to obey. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. In fact, that's what Barnabas means, son of encouragement. That wasn't even his name. Barnabas wasn't his name. His name was Joseph's. But everybody called him Barnabas because he had established such an amazing track record of encouraging others. Son of encouragement. Could you be an encourager? Could you come along and help encourage someone to make that final step of obedience to the gospel?
Well, as we said in the case of Naaman, the servant girl and Elisha and his messenger and Naaman's own servants, all of their contributions were essential to getting Naaman healed of his leprosy. We've got a work to do. Our work is evangelism. But this work is ultimately important, right? And, and for every one of us who are children of God here tonight, there's something you can do. You might be like the servant girl and just tell what, tell about your, tell your faith. Express your confidence. Salvation is possible. You, you should learn about it. Maybe you could be the one who actually explains the actual requirements of salvation. Or maybe you can be the one who comes along and encourages obedience. Kind of a, I hope you agree, kind of an interesting comparison between Naaman being cleansed of leprosy and us helping people be healed of the problem of sin. Every effort, every effort, large or small, counts. Um, I'll just challenge you to think about your own conversion for a minute. If you're a Christian, think back about who was involved in bringing you to obedience. And my guess is for almost all of us, it was the culmination of joint efforts. That's what we've been talking about here tonight, joint efforts. And in the case of probably all of us, it was a joint effort of a number of people who cared enough about us to tell us about salvation, to reach out and instruct us. In the text that Logan read for us earlier, the Apostle Paul talked about some joint efforts there in the first century. You remember, I think, very well the verse, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so Paul recognized different, in his case, he had, been, he had had part of the process, but not all of it. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase, he said. And so we all can have a part to play in the important work of evangelism, sharing the message of salvation with those who are lost. Thanks for your good attention to what we've said. And I was hoping that here at the start of the year, as we all think about things we want to accomplish in the coming 12 months, that we could be motivated more in the area of evangelism, to do more, to reach out, to try and find the lost who will hear and listen and obey the gospel. I think it's very valuable for us to think of specific individuals that we that, that are in this sphere of influence that we have. Who's some specific individual you know that you might be able to touch with the gospel message? Let's make it a priority as we go into this new year. Thank you for your good attention to what we had to say. We're going to sing a song of invitation, and as we do, if there's anything that we can do to help you in making your life right with God, we want to do that. If that means uh, doing that initial teaching... If you need to know more, what is required of me? What must I do to be saved? Say a word. We'll study with you. That simple plan, as you know it well, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you need help with that, if you need help learning more about it, or if you need help obeying it, let us know. If you're a Christian, but you've fallen away from serving your Lord faithfully, come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.